Shrinkwrap Radio number 867, licensed clinical social worker Jocelyn Eve on group therapy for traumatized men. And now it's time for Dr. Dave and Shrinkwrap Radio. You're on the couch again with Dr. Dave and Shrinkwrap Shrinkwrap Radio, all the psychology you need to know and just enough to make it dangerous, it's all in your head. And now here's your host, Dr. Dave. My guest today, trauma worker and group therapy specialist Jocelyn Eve, L-I-C-S-W, discusses her work and a planned group therapy for traumatized men. Jocelyn Eve, welcome to Shrinkwrap Radio. Thank you. I, I know that you're, you've been a listener to this show, and uh, you've been eager to make your, your presence here. So I doubly welcome you, I guess. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm really glad to be here. I think I first heard about your show from Rachel Grant and Deborah Korn, former guests, and have, since talking to you, discovered so many more episodes that that make me so honored to get to be featured on your, you know, pioneering podcast. So thanks for having me. Yeah, well, I feel honored, too, and uh, feel honored that you went on to explore it more on your own and that you discovered other uh, other things that you could relate to. So that's that always makes me feel great. And um, so we're going to be talking about your work in uh, in trauma therapy, and uh, and I'll let you tell us what that's. I'll let you do most of the talking. <laughs> I will put in a a question here and there. Um, I suppose one thing to ask you is, you know, we should note that you're in uh, you're in the Boston area. Right, mm-hmm. and uh, you've you've gone to school in the Boston area. You've worked in the Boston area for years. Uh, I'm not sure. Have you had some uh, some affiliation with Harvard? Any of the work that you're doing? Um, only in that my internship was affiliated with Harvard um, when I was at Beth Israel's partial program during my nine month field placement at Mass. Massachusetts Mental Hospital. So that's okay, a pretty well, that's yeah, a good well, connection. Well, <laughs> yeah, well, a well-regarded place, but yeah, yeah Harvard, Harvard is you know everyone's kind of loosely affiliated here. Certainly, when I was at McLean, um, floating around the different inpatient units, I had my fair share of working alongside um, Harvard-trained clinicians, as well as my time at Cambridge Health Alliance, another teaching hospital. So truly, I came. To Massachusetts kind of by accident and stayed here because it's been an amazing place to to learn and train and and work yeah. alongside some of the brightest people and oh thinkers. yeah oh yeah um so I suppose a good place for us to start is uh what got you interested in becoming a trauma therapist because that's been a lot of your your training and and focus in the years since your graduation yeah, it's hard to locate exactly when it all began, but I, I think in preparing for our conversation, I was I was trying to figure out, you know, what what is my story of how how I came into this field, and and really it started with with my childhood experiences, and I think it's very common when I talk to other group therapists, um, and especially social workers, that they they we we came into the world, you know, maybe more sensitive and maybe by nature, um, empathic and a certain type of temperament, but through conditioning, through our experiences in our own families and communities. And 
um, ecosystems, um, developed ways of being and, and existing and adapting to circumstances. So for me, I, I kind of most identify with early attachment trauma and um, other types of adversity. I kind of rank fairly high on the ACEs score. So um, it's been interesting as I've gotten older and continued my own healing work to realize even my own language and my own ability to locate and identify, make meaning of my story has shifted just as I've understood my own context. So that's a little bit about sort of how I found myself um, going to social work school. But I, I should also acknowledge my, my mother is a social worker. So she was an enormous influence on sort of my exposure to social issues as a child. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So is is she happy to uh, have you in the field as a colleague? Absolutely. She's going to be the first one to listen to this interview. So, Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Very, very proud of, of our social work roots and what that means in our in our family to, I guess, pass on that that legacy of, of people who are doing tikkun alam, you know, service work in the world. I think uh, had I known about it, I might very well have gone into social work because at the time, that I was that I decided that I wanted to be a therapist. Basically, you had to have a PhD, uh, and and that led to my, you know, doing all the work and effort to do a PhD. And only years later was there master's level uh, licensing, and then and of course, social in social work, there's a long history of. Uh, of sort of, sort of cl clinical social workers who who are, are licensed therapists to do therapy, and a lot of people have the association of a social worker as somebody who hands out checks, and mm -hmm. uh, uh, but it's uh, there just as in psychology, there are all these different branches that you can go into in psychology, different yeah. specializations. The same thing is, is true in social worker social work. Yeah, and I'll add that social work has a complex history and one that I am still reckoning with myself. So I feel like that's important to acknowledge and kind of to your to your point that I didn't have a lot of exposure to like a PhD or other other kind of roots. So I, I reflect a lot on sort of how how I ended up here. And I, I can say I was fortunate to encounter some psychologists and graduate or in college and I remember asking them about the different paths and they were very it was very clear to me that I wanted to work with people and maybe teaching and supervising and all that good yeah. stuff as a teacher but getting to interact with systems has been a passion of mine yeah yeah uh I know that language is very important to you and that, that you reject a, uh, a lot of the language that surrounds issues of, um, of, of trauma. And, uh, yeah, no, I, I so appreciate the power of naming things. I'll never forget listening to Eve Ensler, um, her NPR on the power of naming things. And so I think language is so important. I mean, the week that we're recording is one of the most historic moments I've lived through. So I think that I wouldn't be able to come here today and, and not kind of give voice to my lived experience and the roots of kind of where my passion for this work comes from. I'll add that the thing about language that I think I'm struggling with in terms of locating myself and my history right now is that what we've learned in the field of trauma is that it's not so important um, what the specifics are of our histories, that, it, that actually the legacy of trauma there's a lot of commonalities. So I actually have had a little bit of experience with the, the criminal justice system and was so horrified by the archaic language and the documentation that I encountered that was asking me to like justify and document my experiences through a lens that had no bearing on the sort of depths of my experience. So yeah. whether it's sexual or emotional or spiritual or physical, I think what's important and what I want your listeners to hear is that it's valid and it doesn't matter if I call it X, Y, or Z, that it's it's harmful, it's abusive, and I'm a trauma survivor. 
Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so you're not in denial that uh, about the the negative impact of mm-hmm. experiences that are elevated to the level of trauma, and uh, mm-hmm. and trauma is real. It exists in the world, and uh, and so. Uh, so how do we get into your story more and the part that I, I know you there's some things that you're really eager to get on get out there and share with the world. W- one is I guess we should talk about group therapy because uh, I, I I have the I know that you're planning to do a group therapy with, for men who have uh, who somehow have experienced trauma. Is that right? Yes, I'm so excited to be moving into men's work because I spent, you know, I don't know, like a decade focused on what I called like women's issues. And I was involved in the resource, the Women's Resource Gender Action Center in college. And I've developed all these programs and initiatives and found all this kind of affinity in doing work with people who are female identified. And then in my private practice, discovered how many of the men I was working with who also, you know, need groups, need therapy, are underrepresented and trying to build a bridge and recognize that all of our healing is is tied up in in this work across gender lines. And there's no there's no reason that at this point in time people are, yeah, not recognizing, I guess, the the need to do outreach to to male survivors. So I'll definitely talk more about sort of why I'm inspired to work with men, but that's a little bit to start. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, and I believe that, I I don't know if if it's changed, but you're planning to work with a man as a co-therapist. Is that right? Mm Mm-hmm. I, I think that's a smart thing to do. <laughs> yeah, a lot, a lot of the men who we're talking to, um, we're working with people all along the spectrum of manhood. So yeah. um, they just need to identify with um, having um, the experience of being um, a man. And they are definitely reaching out more to my colleague. And I think that that's unsurprising. But, you know, we're both earlier in our careers. So it takes time to build a reputation as a group trauma therapist. But I... It's my favorite part of the work that I do is leading groups. I was blessed to inherit a mixed gender process group um, from a senior clinician in the area. So for the past two years, I've already been leading a group with many male survivors in it. And they have so inspired me to to kind of move in this direction. Oh, that's great. You know, uh, I think I've shared with you that I, I've been in a men's group myself for, I've lost track, but somewhere between 20 and 30 years. And uh, it, people have come and gone and have died and uh, various, we've gone through our own traumas in the group and so on. We fired a, a leader and became a leaderless group. So we've shared a lot and uh, <laughs> over the years. And I have to say it's been an important, an important thing in my life, an important source of support and um, and so I I really believe in men's work, men's groups, and 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 uh, and of course, and uh, to a large extent, I think it was inspired by the women's movement and women's consciousness raising groups, and the, so men began to sort of feel around the edges of that, and you know, and began to, and I think. Those people who are more or less in my age group uh, grew up in a culture where there were very strong messages about how to be a man, you know, and what what a man is and what a woman is, and all of that's a lot more up for grabs now. And uh, so, but I want you to do the talking. (laughs) I can get carried away here. Yeah, I really appreciate your naming like your own work and experience in men's groups because you you invited me to reflect on like what are my strengths as a, a therapist and I've been yeah. thinking about just the re- the role of therapists doing doing their own healing work and especially in the trauma world yeah. like there's so much talk about the risk of re-traumatization especially burnout compassion fatigue so for me. I don't believe in doing anything with my clients that I'm not 
you know, experienced and are well-versed in myself. So doing my own work in groups over the years, I've had dozens of different experiences and that has been formative and so healing and so much of why I want to do this work with men's groups now. Yeah. What do you think heals? You know, we use the, the metaphor of healing and what do you, what, where, what do you think the elements of healing are, particularly in relation to trauma work? Yeah, I mean, my orientation to, to trauma work, to all the work that I do, because I think most of what I do is trauma work these days, is, is that trauma happens in relationships and healing does too. So regardless of the particular intervention or technique or modality, um, I think that relationships heal. And in a group, when the context is that people have been harmed in groups, whether it's through bullying or racism or all the different forms of intersecting impressions that, that we sit with every day with our clients, that group work is a very unique um, aspect of the medicine that I, I prescribe, I guess you could say. Yeah, yeah. So again, what do you think the, the, the healing element is when, when it works and it works really well? Yeah. What do you think? What do you think's going on there? I mean, you've had that experience in your own life on both uh -huh. sides of it, right? Uh, there's so much to say here. It's it's amazing to see. I'm thinking of myself, but I'm thinking of so many of my clients in the past few years who have opened themselves up to group work, and what I see is just enormous growth. That it complements so much the individual work. And obviously, it's a privilege to have access to therapy to be able to also maybe complement it with, with group work. So I don't minimize the expense and the reality that most people can't do both or have access to these types of healing spaces. But those who do, I mean, there are a lot of free free ones as well that are important. And I'll be happy to share resources um, in the show notes for anyone listening. But I'd say that not being alone, normalizing, like you said, yeah. Yeah, the various yeah. experiences and traumas we go through, whether it's a leaderless group or not, that that we see ourselves in others and they mirror both our strengths and also our struggles. And there are things that happen in groups that, yeah, they that can't happen in the dyad. Yeah, you know, sometimes I think there's a lot of room for vicarious learning. That is, um, somebody somebody else is working on an issue and then I realize, oh my God, you know, I can relate to that issue in one way or another in my own experience. Mm -hmm. And yeah. to and to have it, as you say, normalized to realize, okay, this doesn't mean I'm a freak, mm -hmm. you know, and so to learn uh, self-acceptance, which I think is a major, a major thing, right? Precisely. And in the area, we are blessed to have McLean's mentalization-based clinic, and I've been learning more about this this type of therapy treatment. And the group focuses on people taking turns, kind of like a consultation group, hearing about their struggles with mentalizing. So that's not necessarily the type of, of groups that I, I run, but through process groups, which is my passion, um, there's a lot of that vicarious learning and see, recognizing yourself in another so much of also trauma is like what we didn't learn or what we didn't get. So having a corrective experience in a group where you get to, like you're saying, kind of witness and learn from other people who are also engaged in the courageous work of healing. Yeah. And uh, you said a mentalization group, and that's a new concept for me. I have, I have, it makes me think of a cognitive behavioral therapy. Uh which I think, you know, for a long time, uh, uh, behaviorism didn't want to hear about that there was any kind of thought process going on. That was verboten. But it's really moved along so that the world of, uh, of depth therapy and uh, of the various depth therapies and, and approaches to cognitive therapy are much closer than, uh, than I think we might realize. Yeah, I mean, a lot of them build, build off of each other. And I'm not an expert in that type of treatment. But I, I am seeing like the power of, yeah, behavioral 
modalities. I mean, I certainly believe and have had great experiences with, with DBT and CBT. And I, I think one thing I'm most proud of about the new group that we're developing is integrating the best of the best. So including yeah. education, including internal family systems that it's not, it isn't the old model of like, this is a psychodynamic process group and, you know, I'm going to assess, you know, you're choosing to eat during group means that you're trying to self-soothe and analyze you. It's it's a lot more experiential, relational, and um, integrative of different types of modalities. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you have been a client in group therapy, which is one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about and and get your reflections on. Um what what are the biggest challenges that men face today? Do you think? Uh, I mean, we're talking again during a time when, I guess I can say personally, my my partner is protesting right now as we speak in D.C. So, I am reflecting on yeah the the role of the masculine and the the role of men and what are the biggest challenges I'm thinking about our friends and family who are affected by by the war. And it makes me want to name maybe, yeah, the emotional struggles of of, of the men and, and, and the pressure to, to what it means to be a man, to stop crying, to, yeah. to stop hurting, to grow up, to pull your pull your bootstraps up. And, and what, yeah, I love this documentary called The Mask You Live In. Um, it's it's developed by the same producers of misrepresentation, and it explores the narrow definition of masculinity and the harm that it causes boys and men. And yeah, I've had so many conversations in the past week with with men um, about yeah what it was like to grow up in a you know in a Jewish family or you know in a in a culture or a community where they didn't feel like there was space for them to to be vulnerable. The, the same tears that a child comes home with from school by, you know, regardless of their, their gender are, are valid. And yet what the research shows is that that parents and caregivers spend more time with with the kind of female child who comes home with tears and they spend 15 minutes talking to her, whereas the little boy is like, go, go play basketball and, you know, sweat it out. Yeah. So, yeah. so I, think, I think that the greatest challenge is is you know unlearning toxic masculinity the me too movement and the ongoing reckoning around consent culture unlearning racism and white supremacy i think these are major challenges that our men are struggling with yeah definitely definitely the i mean just as women have uh come to uh question the traditional roles you know from the 50s and before um men have also gone through a confusing time or still going through a confusing time of, you know, okay, what does it mean to be a man? And, uh, uh, and to accept one's um, uh, feminine side, uh, I think, that, you know, I, I recognize myself as, as a very feminine male in some ways, but also a traditional, I'm, I'm really, I, both sides are there. Both mm-hmm. sides are there. And, and as a parent, uh, uh, a parent of, of uh, three sons and a daughter who are now grown, I have a son who's gay, and I uh, am impressed by the, the courage that he had to, to come out and that uh, he trusted us, you know, eventually to come out. He came out, there were hints <laughs> early on. Mm-hmm. Um, but but we're very close now, and I you know I recognize those things in myself. Had, had I come up in a different time, it, you know, it could have been very different. Had I come up going to raves and psychedelics and all of that, where uh, love was more freely expressed, mm-hmm. uh, which he did come up with that, and uh, I think that probably had a big influence on him. Yeah, so, and you've you've used. Um, uh, I gather you've grown up in a Jewish environment uh, because you've used some uh, some uh, terms from Judaism. Uh, 
as you're talking about, you know, saving the world and so on, and our responsibility to, to do that. So I guess, is that also part of the finding your way, navigating, figuring out who you are? Yeah, I think I, I just felt it was important to acknowledge some of my roots and lineage. As I said, I'm on my own journey as I continue developing kind of my professional self. I'm also yeah. still making sense of my, my history. And a lot about my history is actually that I don't, like many, I think, Jews and, and white people don't actually know a lot about it, that there's been a lot of intergenerational trauma and a breakdown in, in kind of the stories and the narratives. So yeah, that's I'm, I'm interested and curious to learn more about like epigenetics and sort of the stories that my body tells me that I don't actually have language for. Yeah, interesting. Do you watch that show at all with Henry Gates Jr. Uh, in which he, he brings on guests and they go into their, uh, oh, you ought to see it. It's on PBS, and mm -hmm. it's a regular series. And he is a, I think he's a Yale professor, something like that, and uh, an African-American. And as they go into people's roots, I mean, we find all kinds of, uh, of uh, things, you know, like uh, uh, white people who discover that they were, uh, slave that they're slave owners in their history and how do they come to terms with that and and also uh, in, you know going back to a European and, and and earlier roots for it's just an incredible show and he does such a good job of of uh, shepherding people through these discoveries really you got it <laughs> yeah Find, I will I'll finding I'll your roots. That. Finding I'll Your add, Roots is the name of the series. Yeah, I'll, I'll add that to my queue. And just your your sharing reminded me of some of the folks I've been talking to who are interested in the group have shared, you know, does racial trauma like count? Like they see, you know, our websites or they, they see what maybe they think a men's group is about. Yeah, and yeah. it's been so interesting to like have these conversations about like, yeah, the overlap, but, but also being a, a white kind of, leadership team with my colleague dr gladstone to think about you know what what moment of time this this is for for people the courage it takes to be struggling in your workplace to be struggling in your families and your friends and feel like marginalized um racially um during this this time so i'm especially interested i guess in to looking at like the the overlap and and how can can we kind of foster a space where there there's no type of trauma that's that's not valid that, that everyone's experiences can can bring something to the group and that I, I was just so struck by that question of like do I belong here yeah yeah and I you know I was originally somewhat shocked to have some guests in my podcast who um who said, well, we've all been traumatized. And at first I had a little resistance to that idea. But as I've thought about it, and particularly everything that's going on in today's world, uh, yeah, we are all being we are all being traumatized, you know, regularly by uh, the the uh, the big splits in our society and wars that have been going on forever all over the world, wars denied and, you know, and not denied and out in the open and others that are not so out in the open and, and predictions of the, the passing of our human beings <laughs> getting totally wiped out. I mean, you know, it's, I go to a medical place for some medical issues and they have me fill out, you're talking about these how the categories and the forms that you have to fill out. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I don't want to have a mental health record following me around. So I really resist that, that it all gets documented and follows you everywhere. And then people will make judge, big judgments about, about your health, et cetera. And there's a way in which it makes sense, and I can understand them wanting to do it. But so there are these questions about uh, uh, 
are the the scales on a scale of zero to ten, you know, how worried have you been in the last seven days? How depressed mm -hmm. have you been in the last seven days? It's a, are you kidding? How can you not be worried? How can you not be depressed? I say never. I say, oh, no, mm -hmm. no, that doesn't fit me at all. So I'm lying. But I'm not lying to myself <laughs> about that. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> I'm hearing what you're saying and thinking about like the connection to, to my work and, and group work. And I'm so passionate about trauma-informed care. And one of the pieces that rings a bell from what you're talking about is is how we evaluate the effectiveness of yeah. is, is this how do we even assess if this is a good fit for you is this actually a good group or is this the time to yeah. engage a trauma group and i think that there are instruments that group therapists use to kind of measure the efficacy and assess like where you're at when you come in and then the midway mark and then afterwards sure um, but i do i do think to, to your point, like, yeah, it's, there are so many circumstances and, and factors that are influencing us that I often talk about self-reporting and like, how do we as consumers, as clients, figure out what's useful about, like, there are great apps these days that can track our mood symptoms and that, that some people find that really useful. So they're not kind of evaluating their progress um, or their treatment by sort of what's happening in the latest headlines, but rather there there is a, a real significance of, of measuring. And I think that that is another strength that I bring to the work is like, I really want to do what works. And I, sure. I really- yeah, good for you. Drawn, <laughs> right. yeah, I've right. been really drawn to group therapy because I, I I believe in the research, but I also, like I said, have, have seen it firsthand in myself and, and others that it's transformative. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's so many issues around evaluation, uh, program evaluation, you know, and it's it's kind of a necessary thing. But the context in which it happens is really important and whether or not there's the, the freedom to really be honest and to not have to worry that there are negative consequences for oneself. So, yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's tricky. Yeah. <laughs> And all, as, also, as is all of reality, tricky. Yeah, also, relatedly, I think another part of trauma-informed care that I could underscore here is the importance of transparency. And that that is, I think, quite different than maybe when when you were going through through training, that like I'm having conversations with clients, you know, about payment up front, that there is a, the no surprise act. And, and the yeah. same goes with mental health care. Nobody yeah. should be meeting with me or any provider and having no idea what the cost of that phone call or Zoom or intake is. Uh, right. Being transparent and being, you know, giving people informed consent is is very important. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so this, you talk about trauma-informed therapy and uh, the whole field of traumatology, if you will, has just gone through so many changes and, and, and has really evolved in uh, in major ways and uh, I'm really impressed by that and and uh, I agree that uh, uh, what was the term you used the genetic term of the epigenetics epigenetic thank you you know we're finding out that memories may be genetically transferred and the part of me that's kind of a Jungian has long you know at least been open to that idea of of uh, of uh, racial memory if you will uh, or a collective collective unconscious collective memories somehow being transferred and so there there are bits of evidence from the scientific side that seem to echo and re reinforce some of those ideas. And we do know that even if you don't go there, but that in families, trauma gets transformed by the stories that are told, by the attitudes that are taught, by the fears that are communicated. 
Yeah, I grew absolutely. Up, I, as you may, I don't know which of my confessional <laughs> episodes you've you've heard, but I grew up in a racially mixed family, mm-hmm. and uh, and in part there was a, a black component in in my uh, family, and so when I went to when I went south you know, to um, in uh, as an undergraduate and uh, a friend uh, invited me to, to go down there and uh, to visit for a week or so. And uh, I got sick, physically sick in the car. And I really felt like, oh, I was going into this super dark area and I did not know what was going to happen there. And but this was a, a a fear that I had learned in, in my family, parts of my family that had been traumatized by experiences in the South. And yet the, the, the realities of living in the South are so different and so complex, so much more nuanced than that. Mm. <clears throat> Really, yeah, I, I mean, want you to talk. <laughs> I'm running I mean, off that, with the mouth that re- here. <laughs> <laughs> that, re- that reflection, though, is is so relevant, I think, to like what I'm talking about with that type of healing and processing and doing that in the context of a group yeah. where only might people have their own kind of stories of growing up in mixed racial homes or um, kind of making making sense of their past, doing that in a in a group setting can be, I imagine that that's been helpful for, for you too, just to understand the, that that experience as a kid can feel so confusing and isolating. And we don't obviously as children have language or we don't necessarily get taught this stuff in kindergarten, how to, how to make sense of our feelings and right. all things that are taboo and not talked about, right. like, like, you know, bodily autonomy, which is, I'm so happy and hopeful to say, becoming more kind of integrated into mainstream parenting books and education settings. I'm looking at some of the questions that uh, we had discussed, maybe talking about. Well, probably I should ask you, what have you not had a chance to say yet that you really wanted to get across? Well, I would love to share a little bit more in terms of your question about the what is how helpful or what is the medicine maybe of, of group work. Those are those are my words. But thinking about inter- integrating internal family systems into this this group and for those who aren't familiar with, with that part of what I wanted to to name was just, yeah, that internal family systems has been, I think, a very widely accepted and beloved modality because it's, it's so easy to think about maybe our personalities in terms of subsystems and, and parts, but each of our wounds or the parts of our personalities that have developed have different goals and agendas and intentions and i'm excited about the the framing of how to integrate internal family systems to this new men's group because uh, the whole job of our parts is to make sure that we can survive and there are you know daily daily life parts that help us to engage with others and with our environment and it gets very complex and and, and there's a lot of dissociative systems that, that happened that i think the healing space of a trauma group can help us to, again, not be alone with with those experiences and recognize that it's it can be safe to talk about those exiled parts, um, those psychological wounds that were traumatic or overwhelming, as well as the protectors and managers, firefighters, which are so vital um, when it comes to understanding how do we cope? What 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 happens after these experiences, these adversities? And, and also what the research is showing is that as adults as well, we can develop um, complex trauma and dissociative kind of defenses. So I think it's a it's a really exciting time to be a trauma therapist and to be 
developing groups that can meet the needs of kind of this moment. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to kind of learn more about what, learn more and evaluate and be kind of on the front cutting edge of what group work looks like for, for trauma at this time. When you mentioned firemen and managers, I take it you were referring to uh, internal parts of oneself that might be uh, 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 sort of positive sub-personalities that are helping to to manage and put out the fire. Or, exactly. The protectors, yeah. are they protect the exiled, those psychologically yeah. wounded parts from further harm. Yeah. Uh, so they act to put out feelings of overwhelm, whatever it takes to end the pain immediately. Um, typically for many of us with PTSD-like symptoms, that looks like fight or flight reactions. And then there are the manager parts, which they act to keep keep us feeling secure by controlling people, events. Um, I'm sure a lot of my manager parts came out in our planning for this day, just kind of wanting to to have input about the questions and the title and that it's really a beautiful system that normalizes that all the ways that we interact with the world are are okay, that they're just parts of our personalities and yeah. where we can learn and integrate them into our adult selves. And, and a big part of IFS is self-energy. So as a, as a therapist in a group, the clients are hopefully borrowing some of my curiosity. They're the seven C's, confidence, compassion, clarity, creativity, probably missing a few, but just like, but that's really the goal is integration and, and to, to make sense of what, what happens when we can't access that self energy and, and we're totally blended or burdened by the exiled experiences and, and parts of our traumas. So as you can see, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, jumping all over the place because it, it's so exciting to me that this is, this is an opportunity that I have to, to build and to develop something new that hasn't really been done before. Uh-huh. The, uh, my familiarity with internal family systems is learning about it through having interviewed people who are working in the area of uh, psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy. And that's one of the exciting developments to emerge in this whole new stew that's of uh, approaches to uh, and and when a person is uh, in a psychedelic space, they may experience these these inner parts and uh, uh, may experience them directly. The you know presumably the these and there are a lot of different therapy systems that have hypothesized parts going all the way back to Freud <laughs> and, and and other analytic approaches. But so it's important to, uh, to highlight that these components may be largely unconscious and unknown to the conscious personality, but in the psychedelic environment, they might come out and, and then they might be able to, to integrate those. Um, what are your thoughts about uh, psychedelic assisted therapy and is that an area that you have any experience with or something or a direction that you'd want to go in your own work? Yeah, I mean, another interesting part of being a trauma therapist at this time is is the revolution of, of psychedelic assisted therapies. And that is definitely, um, yeah, a point of learning for me that I'm I'm discovering and seeing a lot of growth and potential in the field and amongst my clients and colleagues who are, you know, getting trained in, in ketamine assisted work. And um, it's, it's so fascinating, especially as it relates to group dynamics and cer the ceremonial ritual aspects that yeah. I guess uh, as a social justice minded person, I'm, I'm super excited about the, the reach and, and the accessibility issues. Um, and right now it's not super accessible, but um, to kind of bring it back to the, the parts work, it's extraordinary, I guess, what what people are finding um, is possible when they can um, access these types of plant medicines. So I, I think that that kind of brings me back to like my commitment to learning and, and doing my own work that I think 
I hope that that's something that comes across in this conversation, but also, you know, in the groups and individual clients that I work with is that I, I don't profess to to know it all and that I, I really pride myself on joining my clients. And I think a lot of psychedelic assisted therapies are also really emphasizing that sort of role of guide and, and facilitator rather than like intruding on my client's experience with my agenda of what I think that we should talk about today or what the topic of right. the group is this week. Like we, you know, we have a structure and we have a plan and a vision, but the magic is in what emerges. That is also what I love most about group work is that you don't know what's going to come out of the, anyone's mouth or what they're going to bring up that day. And it's very emergent. Um, so I, I see a lot of potential in terms of maybe future offerings that relate to supporting folks who are integrating their psychedelic therapy. Um, so I'm all for it. And there's a there's a fantastic online conference going on this week or last week about psychedelics with all the kind of greatest thought leaders and, and experts on this. So highly recommend to any listeners who haven't heard about that. Yeah. Um, speaking of, of resources, I wonder if, do you have a website uh, if people want to learn more about you or know about uh, any groups that you have coming up, uh, where would they go? Yes, my information is pretty much all on my website. I also have some other kind of social links that I can share with you. But my website is jocelyneve.com. And you'll see um, some recent Instagram lives where I've shared about sort of my thinking about the the group that we've been developing as well as Kind of, I love to share resources, so I'll plug um, a colleague, Misha Bryak's work with Beyond Consent, the Bonobo Network, menhealing.org, oneinsix.org, Male Survivor. There are so many people, you know, doing great work right now in this space of men and men's trauma, and it gives me a lot of hope and an inspiration to go forward at this really uncertain and scary moment. Yeah. Well, Jocelyn, Eve, I think we've come to uh, that place where we're winding things down. And so uh, uh, thank you for sharing these resources and uh, I encourage people to follow up. And uh, And uh, I really enjoy your energy and your enthusiasm, this place that, you know, you're just you're opening up like a flower. And uh, <laughs> I can see you, you really relishing that experience and uh so don't burn out keep that keep on keeping on and uh thank you for being my guest today on shrink wrap radio thank you it was a pleasure to talk to you My recent guest, Jocelyn Eve, L-I-C-S-W, was a delight to meet. I'm particularly impressed by all the training she's received in the latest approaches to trauma-informed therapy, as well as the depth of her experience in group therapy. I'm most impressed by her passion to begin offering a therapy group for men. I've been in a men's group for more than 20 years myself and have benefited from it greatly. My wife has even commented that it has changed me in positive ways. Our cultural understanding of masculinity has shifted so much in recent years, and all the debate about gender and sexual identification and expression has left many males confused. Again, Jocelyn is on top of the current research and discussion about these issues. She also will be working with a male co-leader in the planned therapy group, which I think is good practice. Jocelyn is of the school that believes that languaging about sexual trauma is particularly important. She seeks to avoid language that would tend to lock people into a victim paradigm. She seeks to re re she strives to reinforce our instinctual drive toward health, growth, and joyful outcomes. I feel certain, though, that she will make space for clients to talk about and fully work through their pain. My own language is feeling awkward and clumsy here. 
She says it better in her bio, where she writes, quotes, Jocelyn dreams of radical recovery, healing, and thriving. She spends her days scheming creative, integrative healing spaces and fostering radical community to work in synergy towards that end, close quote. And later when she says, quote, her treatment approach is also grounded in relational and attachment theories, internal family systems, and framed by social justice. Her practice is rooted in the belief that each of us are inherently whole and deserving of joy, freedom, and care. She models non-judgment, radical acceptance, and curiosity in her group offerings to break relational cycles keeping us stuck in disconnection, close quote. Jocelyn really came to life toward the end of our interview when I asked her if she felt she had gotten a chance to get her message through. The part of her response that sticks with me still was her excited conviction that her planned group therapy for traumatized men would combine therapeutic elements in a unique way never attempted before. She was eagerly looking forward to the results. Me too. I encourage you to follow her work at her website, www.jocelyneve.com, and that's spelled www.jocelyneve.com. Hey, Dr. Dave. Thanks for bringing us your show. I value the open-heartedness and humor you show your guests and all of us as you delve into topics. It informs both my personal journey and my work with clients. I give to Shrinkwrap Radio for the same reason I give to other institutions that feed my mind and heart. It's to complete the energetic circuit. As I receive, so I give. Keep up the great work. Thank you, therapist Ron Sala. I'm so glad you find nourishment for your heart and mind in these interviews, and thanks for encouraging others to help financially to support our ongoing work. Once again, time to shrink wrap it up. Thanks to today's guest, licensed clinical social worker, Jocelyn Eve, for sharing her passion for trauma-informed therapy and for telling us about her planned men's group. Next week, my guest will be Harvard professor and author David H. Rossmerin, Ph.D., who will be discussing his newly released book, Thriving with Anxiety. Until next time, this is Dr. Dave reminding you to be kind to yourselves, others, and our precious earth. You've been shrink-wrapped by Dr. Dave. All the psychology you need to know, and just enough to make you dangerous.